This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everybody, what is going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 239, Talking Buffalo Podcast. I want to thank everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Matter of fact, for subscribers only, we just wrapped up a prize pack giveaway contest from our friends at Macy's Place Pizzeria. Gave away a large pizza and 20 wings. Congratulations to Jason Collin who won that. Starting today for the next week and a half or so, this prize pack will consist of an 18-inch wood fire pizza and 20 wings from our friends at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. Firing away one of the most criminally underrated places to eat in Western New York. I've done a few podcasts there, had pizza and wings. I've done shows with Eric Wood, with Reed Ferguson and the Buffalo Bills, with Joe Biscaglia. Don't take my word for it. Ask them. They'll tell you. The food there is absolutely delicious. Anyway, an opportunity for you to win pizza and wings from there. All you got to do is be subscribed to the podcast. Go on my Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. I have the tweet pinned right at the very top. All you got to do is reply to it with a screenshot as proof that you are subscribed to this podcast and you will have a chance to win. Simple as that, folks. I'll also put that information in the show notes as well. As for today's episode, let me say this. I'm definitely taking a little bit of a break here from the norm with this episode, but I'll tell you what, this to me is an interview score that I've been working on getting this guy on this podcast for quite a while now. Uh, If you're on Twitter, chances are that you've heard of the name Barry McCockiner. And yes, I did just say Barry McCockiner. I remember a few years ago, my buddy Tom Putz was doing this podcast with me. And afterwards, he told me to look up this Barry McCockiner guy on Twitter. Uh, Sports Talk Barry was his Twitter handle and said that the guy was funny as shit. So I did. And to Tom's credit, man, he was right. Turn me on to this guy. And uh, over the past few years, I've watched this Barry McCockiner guy build up a following on Twitter. Tens of thousands of fans, man. Some cases with some of his Twitter handles over well over 100K. Only to get suspended by Twitter, which happens all the time. And he's got to do it over and over and over again. But he does. As of this taping right now. Assuming that he still has his Twitter, that this account has been suspended well over 60,000 followers again. So he's continued to do it. And that's why I've spent many hours on 
Barry McCockner's timeline. And quite often, to be honest with you, the only thing that's more entertaining than the tweets this guy puts out there are actually in his mentions. I mean, it's fucking funny, man. Seriously, unbelievable. Some of the following that he has and a lot of the comments that go with his tweets. It's just, it's hilarious. Uh, this guy is a self-proclaimed respecter of the troops, a seven-time racism hater of the year. He's a huge advocate in the lethal fight against marijuana overdoses, which is a real thing, folks. At least according to Barry, it is. Uh, this guy is either entertained or pissed off legions of people, depending on what your perspective is, I guess. Uh, countless people with some legendary Twitter trolls. I mean, that's what he does best from having fans believe that Colin Kaepernick had signed with the New York Jets to constantly fooling blue check marks. People like Peter King with some of his bullshit fake news. Uh, his crowning troll probably was fooling Skip Bayless with a fake tweet about Chris Paul repeatedly making fun of James Harden for two years about having man boobs. Skip ended up talking about that on his Undisputed show with Shannon Sharp. It was just absolutely hilarious shit. Uh, and Barry's brand has grown beyond just Twitter now. He's also got the Class Act podcast, got a YouTube channel with well over 25,000 subscribers. But I'll tell you what, for me, what separates a Barry McCockiner from the rest of the imitators out there is that when he's not trolling, this dude actually drops a ton of very well-informed, well-thought-out sports takes that they really make you think whether you agree with what he's saying or not. Because again, it's a lot of funny games, but it's not all funny games with this guy. Sometimes he's got a lot of stuff to say when it comes to sports. Uh, the two people he spends far and away the most time talking about are Tom Brady and LeBron James for different reasons. And let me say this right now about Tom Brady, and I'm sure this is going to be music to the ears of many, many Buffalo Bills fans out here listening to this podcast. There ain't too many motherfuckers out there who hate Tom Brady more than Barry McCockner. I'm going to tell you that right now. From his tweets to podcast rants to YouTube videos dedicated to him, there's just unquestionably Tom Brady is Barry's biggest target. Far and away, he's not even close. On the other side of the fence, he also thinks LeBron James is the greatest of all time, not Michael Jordan. And I'll tell you what, I don't agree with that, but to be fair to Barry, he does make a lot of very good points. Again, it's numbers that back up what he says. Just lots of good takes. But anyway, at the end of the day, look, it's the comedic gold uh, that he puts out there. That That's what makes Barry McCockiner a huge name on social media right now. And I'm looking forward to having this chat with him, getting a little bit of insight to his process, asking him how he decided on the Suedo name, Barry McCockiner, how that came a thing, uh, finding out what trolls that he's enjoyed the most. If there's any tweets out there that they regret, uh, what sports people out there hate him the most, how he grew his following, what that process was, talking about his podcast, his YouTube channel, and then we'll actually have a few sports-related discussions. Uh, so much more coming up with one of social media's best-known comedic personalities. But before we chat, I want to set things up this way, okay? For those who don't know Barry McCockiner, or even if you do, um, I'm going to play this audio version of one of his most recent videos on YouTube. Obviously, this is not going to be a video. I can only play it an audio version. 
because this is a podcast, but I think the content in it perfectly exemplifies the Barry McCockner persona. Uh, this clip is Barry's five worst quarterbacks in NFL history. And I'm just going to tell you what, it's fucking hilarious. I'm going to play this entire clip. So on that note, settle in and you'll quickly get exactly what I'm talking about. And then immediately on the other side of this, I'll be back to chat with the great anti-racism, anti-marijuana, troop-loving Barry McCockiner. The fifth worst quarterback in NFL history is Dan Marino. To sum it up succinctly, Dan Marino was a loser. There's absolutely no question that Dan Marino made the Miami Dolphins a worse team during his 17 seasons there. The facts are just undeniable. In 17 seasons with Dan Marino, the Miami Dolphins made one measly Super Bowl appearance, which they lost. In their first 17 years of existence without Dan Marino, they made four Super Bowls and won two of them, including back-to-back titles and a perfect season. Is it really just a coincidence that the Miami Dolphins defenses declined as soon as Marino went there? I don't think so. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Dan Marino told his defensive teammates to purposely give up touchdowns so he wouldn't be blamed for losing. Just an absolutely disgusting and selfish person that Dan Marino is. Never mind the fact that Dan Marino wasn't even good at playing quarterback. You see, quarterbacks are supposed to throw the ball to their teammates, and over the course of Dan Marino's career, he threw 3,391 incompletions. That's a lot of bad plays, but it gets even worse. He also threw a whopping 252 interceptions in the regular season. For reference, Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf combined to throw 59 interceptions in their careers. Dan Marino is at least four times as bad as those two put together. Dan Marino lost 93 regular season games in his career. 93 games. That's almost six full seasons of losses. Just absolutely disgusting stuff. Once we get to the playoffs, you realize that Dan Marino was even more of a loser. He lost a whopping 10 playoff games. I don't understand what's so hard about football. You know what you have to do to win. You gotta score more points than the other team. It's not that difficult. I think it goes without saying that the Miami Dolphins and their fans are extremely disappointed that the team picked Dan Marino 27th overall in 1983. Try to look at Dan Marino's resume without vomiting. It's literally impossible. I mean, this guy is easily one of the worst quarterbacks of all time. The fourth worst quarterback in NFL history is American flag fornicator. Drew Brees. At first glance, looking at Drew Brees' stats make him seem like one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history when that couldn't be farther from the truth. I don't care that he's thrown for over 77,000 yards and 547 touchdown passes. A deeper look into the numbers reveals one of the worst quarterbacks and players in any professional sport ever. You hear all the time about how accurate Drew Brees is, but that's a flat-out lie. A whopping 32.4% of his career passes have been incompletions. If he was truly that accurate, would he miss a third of his throws? I don't think so. He's also thrown a whopping 237 interceptions in his career, more than 10 times as many as Jamarcus Russell. The most damning stat against Drew Brees is that he's only been sacked on 4% of his career dropbacks. On the surface, this sounds like a good 
thing, but in reality, it's not. It shows that he's afraid to get hit and he lacks toughness. And while Drew Brees technically has a Super Bowl ring, in reality, he only won that Super Bowl because Peyton Manning felt bad for his hometown because of Hurricane Katrina. Also in the postseason, Brees has just a 500 career record. You know who doesn't have a 500 career record in the playoffs? Tom Brady, because Tom Brady wants to win. You want further proof that Drew Brees makes his teams worse? In Brees' 14 seasons with New Orleans, he's lost seven playoff games. In the franchise's first 39 seasons of existence without Brees, they only lost five playoff games. I just don't know how anybody in their right minds can say that Drew Brees isn't a horrible quarterback. Coming in at number three on the all-time list of worst quarterbacks ever is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning came into the NFL with high expectations, and it's safe to say that he absolutely did not live up to them. The Indianapolis Colts envisioned multiple Super Bowls under Peyton Manning, but instead, all they got was a lot of disappointment and one measly Super Bowl ring with Peyton under center. I mean, this guy was their starting quarterback for 13 straight seasons, and all he did was win one fewer Super Bowl ring than the Ravens have with Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer. Think about that. Trent fucking Dilfer and Joe Flacco in the same 13-year window from 2000 to 2012 won more rings for the Baltimore Ravens than Peyton Manning did for the Indianapolis Colts from 1998 to 2010. But there's more that highlights Peyton Manning's incompetency at the quarterback position. Over the course of his career in the regular season, 94.3% of his passes were not touchdowns. He threw 215 more interceptions than the man who was drafted behind him, Ryan Leaf. When it comes to the individual honors, Peyton Manning is severely lacking as well. Only seven times in 17 seasons as a starter was he named first team All-Pro. That's just 41.2% of the time. Disgusting. He only won MVP five times in those 17 seasons as a starter. That's less than 30%. What a loser. But speaking of losing, no quarterback in NFL history has lost better in the playoffs than Peyton Manning. Hell, he lost 13 playoff games, which is the most all time. Instead of being a winner like his brother Eli Manning and missing the playoffs instead of risking another loss, Peyton drove his teams to the playoffs all those years just to come up short. What an embarrassment. And speaking of his brother, he doesn't even have the most rings or Super Bowl MVPs among his own family members. But perhaps the most damning stat of Peyton's postseason incompetence is how he told his defenses to give up the lead within the final 35 seconds of the game four different times. Talk about not being clutch. It goes without saying that Peyton Manning's resume is easily one of the most disappointing and disgusting resumes of any quarterback all time. Coming in at number two on the list of worst quarterbacks in NFL history, it's Aaron Rodgers. Well, 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 if it isn't Mr. Aaron Rodgers, where do I begin? with this guy. You want to know how bad Aaron Rodgers is? He wasn't even good enough to start a single game over his first three seasons in the NFL. But that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how much Aaron Rodgers sucks. The guy was born in California, which lets you know right off the bat that he's a little bit of a nut job. After attending something called Butt Community College in California, he attended California at Berkeley for two years. You want to know who else has been associated with California Berkeley over the years? That's right. The 
Unabomber. Does Aaron Rodgers secretly support the Unabomber? It's a question that only he knows. While you shouldn't overlook a person's character, this video isn't about stuff off the field, so let's get to Aaron Rodgers' on-the-field resume. Rodgers gets routinely praised by the masses for his propensity to not throw interceptions, and while on the surface this may seem like a good thing, it's actually not. Only 1.4% of his career passes in the regular season have been intercepted. Some may look at this as him taking care of the ball, but to me, it shows that he's afraid of having to get dirty and physical on interception returns. Remember, football is a contact sport, it's not just for pretty boys and all these look-at-me highlight reel merchants like Rodgers. It's disgusting. You know who wasn't afraid to throw interceptions because he was a true man? That's right, folks. Aaron Rodgers' predecessor, Brett Favre. And even though Rodgers promotes himself as a woke anti-racist, I see straight through his charade. 65 of Aaron Rodgers' 364 regular season touchdown passes went to a white guy named Jordy Nelson. This is a blatant example of systemic racism. Rodgers has 81 career fumbles. This shows that he is not trustworthy if he had to carry something fragile. Looking at this next tidbit literally makes me want to fucking puke. Rogers is almost 37 years old and he has never been married. This means that he has engaged in a lot of premarital sex. Thankfully, because I am a just and righteous person, I can proudly say that I have never once engaged in premarital sex. I honestly don't know how Rogers can live with himself. When we look at the postseason resume for Rogers, it doesn't get much better. He has as many Super Bowl rings as mega draft bust David Carr. Rogers also really, really sucks at throwing touchdown passes. 93.9% of his passes have not gone for touchdowns. Uh, hey Aaron, you're supposed to throw the ball into the end zone, <laughs> idiot. But perhaps the most damning postseason stat for Rodgers is that his teams have allowed 36.4 points per game in his eight playoff losses. You might say, oh, well, that's not Rodgers' fault. He doesn't play defense. But that's exactly why it is his fault. You know who does play defense? Tom Brady. And you know what Tom Brady does? Tom Brady motivates his defensive teammates from the sidelines. Just look at Malcolm Butler. Aaron Rodgers does not do that. He's a disgrace. Tom Brady's also 43 years old, by the way. Before looking at Rodgers' resume, I highly recommend having a barf bag at your side. You'll thank me later. And finally, the worst quarterback in NFL history is Patrick Mahomes. The NFL's current golden boy isn't immune from my criticism. In fact, it's obvious that among all the quarterbacks on this list, Patrick Mahomes has by far the worst resume. Don't even get me started on the half a billion dollar contract he just signed. Everybody always goes around praising Mahomes like, Oh my god, he's a hero! Yay! No, he's not. You want to know who is a real hero? Pat Pillman. Pat Pillman sacrificed his NFL career to go overseas to defend this country. If you had the choice between Pat Tillman or Patrick Mahomes to start a franchise with and you pick Mahomes, it's obvious that you hate America. But enough rant rambling and tangents about Mahomes' off-field problems, let's talk about his on-field resume. In the regular season, this scrub has fewer career touchdown passes than Mark Sanchez, Joey Harrington, Blake Portals, and Jameis Winston. I mean, how good can you really be if you have fewer career touchdown passes than Mark fucking Sanchez? But as you dig deeper into the numbers, Mahomes' resume gets even more disturbing. He's thrown a touchdown on 6.9% of his passes in the regular season. This is obviously a reference to the sex position. This sets a horrible example for young children. Mahomes has also had a girlfriend for a very long time, and his girlfriend, by the way, has horse teeth and is annoying, but that's not something I'm going to go in-depth into here. Why is this a negative for Patrick Mahomes? It's because this means he's most likely had premarital sex. 
This is just another reason why he will never be as good as Tim Tebow. Many Mahomes fans point to his resume as, oh, well, he already won MVP. Well, guess what? Mahomes has as many MVPs as Mark Mosley, a kicker. Yeah, congratulations on that. I mean, seriously, they actually gave a fucking kicker league MVP in 1982. That's just crazy. That's 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 incredible. Taking a look at Mahomes' playoff resume, it doesn't get much prettier. Mahomes fans conveniently overlook the fact that he told D. Ford to line up offsides in the 2018 AFC Championship game because he was too scared to play in the Super Bowl that year. Doesn't sound like a competitor to me. He's also only won a Super Bowl in 50% of his seasons as a full-time starter. You wouldn't go to a heart doctor who only had a 50% success rate at open heart surgery, would you? So why would you want a quarterback who only wins the Super Bowl 50% of the time? Doesn't make a lot of sense. And finally, in order to win his only ring, he had to beat San Francisco. San Francisco has a large gay population. The fact that the Holmes decided to beat San Francisco shows that he might be possibly homophobic. And folks, in my opinion, homophobia and other types of discriminatory beliefs are not acceptable at any level. Mahomes must be stopped. Shame on Patrick Mahomes, the worst quarterback in NFL history. All right, my guest today has definitely become one of Twitter's biggest lightning rods, especially in the world of sports personalities over the past couple of years. Whether it's trolling and getting mainstream media to retweet his fake news, uh, dying on hills that Tom Brady's the most overrated quarterback in NFL history, or Michael Jordan played against a bunch of high school janitors, or just making people laugh with some outlandish tweets that just resonate with people. There's only one, Barry McCockiner. What's going on, dude? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited to have you, man. And before I tell you what, before we get cooking here, I want to get this off my chest right away. I want to say that while a big part of your game is trolling, many people love it. Some might not. I'm kind of in the middle with all that. But for me, what separates you from admitted trolls out there is that mixed in with all your stuff is some really knowledgeable strong as hell sports takes and breakdowns of athletes. And we'll talk about a couple of those shortly, but I'd be willing to bet if you really wanted to, you probably could actually be a hell of a blogger or a sports analyst. I mean, at the root of the Barry McCockiner personality, you're like a legit sports nut, aren't you? Well, yeah, I've always, uh, well, I appreciate that first of all, but I've always been a sports fan first and foremost. And Growing up, I always used to get the ESPN Sports Almanacs every year, and I'd always go and I'd look at the players and study their stats. So I've always really been interested in that type of thing. And I know a lot about sports history, specifically the NFL and the NBA. And I think that that knowledge mixed with some of my uh, off-the-wall type of humor, I think, is a big reason why uh, I have I have the following that I have right now. Yeah, for sure. Now, in terms of the Barry McCockiner Twitter phenomenon at Sports Talk Barry, I'll tell you what, it got huge over the past couple of years, and I still remember this very well because I had started this podcast in 2018, the spring. I remember maybe a couple months in, my buddy Tone Puck, so I was taping some segments with from time to time. He's the one who first had told me to check you out. I had never heard of you at that point. Um, 
And I just went on your Twitter and I just started laughing my ass off because I'll tell you what, here's another thing about what you do. Lots of people have fun tweets or informative tweets, whichever way you want to look at it. And like, for an example, I'll read what Adam Schefter has to say or somebody like that. And then I move on to the next tweet. But what's different with yours is the mentions, the people that interact with the crazy shit that you say. That's a, I've spent many, many hours sometimes going through your Twitter feed and it's one thing to read what you tweet, but what the people underneath in those mentions reply, that's what kind of makes it fun. Like, how did you build your audience and eventually a fan base that follows you regardless of how many times Twitter suspends you? We'll talk about that in a minute. And that you're forced into different account names. It feels like the Barry McCockiner star happened overnight, but I'd be willing to bet it was a process that took a little bit of time for you to start building a following. Yeah, I mean, I first, I, I've been on social media, if you want to call it that. I mean, I was on Facebook and I was on Instagram for a little while and obviously Twitter. And basically every single platform that I've been on, I've always kind of had a good sense of how to build things, how to build pages. For instance, like on Facebook, I ended up getting over... I ended up getting two pages over a hundred thousand followers and from scratch. Wow. And so, um, and then unfortunately those got hacked and taken away from me, but, uh, that's a different story. But, uh, and like on Instagram, I built up, uh, again, my profile from scratch to about 35,000 and then, but then that got taken away from me again. Um, unfortunately, but when it comes to Twitter, I started, I started, I joined Twitter for the first time in 2013 and you're right it wasn't it wasn't like i came became this guy with a huge amount of followers overnight i mean i i for the first three or four years of my twitter existence i was basically a guy who had nine thousand followers i mean that was my original account i had my original account for about three and a half years and when that got suspended um I I was at around 9,200. And so I kind of stayed there for a few more years. And it wasn't really until the summer of 2018 when I really started to see a big increase in my following. And a big reason for that was because I made it onto ESPN with my, yeah, you alluded to it earlier with my Michael Jordan, you know, played against janitors type of, uh, trolls but that was that was i made this huge thread that basically was just making fun of the base that was basically just clips of michael jordan playing against scrawny white guys and and abusing all these shitty basketball players and (laughs) it was just like this gigantic long thread and it made it all the way to espn and that was really i guess the turning point from when i went to being a guy who had around 14,000 followers to all of a sudden I was at like 60,000 and really ever since then for the last two years or so that's that's basically where I've been uh before I I usually end up getting suspended (laughs) you do so whether you're being funny or whether somebody hates you like I said the uh the mentions and the interactions with your tweet they really resonate with people I've seen some significant sports people there if nothing else, at least acknowledge your existence. Like who are some yeah. of the better well-known people that have interacted with you or, or blocked you, you know, just to some capacity, they know who you are, put it that way. Uh, 
Well, for, you know, I've interacted with guys like Rappaport and Schefter. They, they, they know who I am. They kind of go along with the trolls that I do because I like to impersonate them and make some you know, mm-hmm. zany made up stories. So they, they know who I am for sure. There's some guys, there's some people at the NFL network who have said my name or they said you know, my handler. They, so I know that there are people out there, especially in the sports world and the NFL and NBA world circles who know who I am in terms of who has blocked me. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who have blocked me. Um, but for me, the big, the two biggest people who have ever blocked any of my accounts uh, during my time on Twitter, one of them was Tom Brady and the other was Steph Curry. And those are, so I don't, I don't know if they necessarily know of my existence per se, but those, at least for a brief second, they, they, or one of their social media managers, I don't know for sure which, but they, so I know that they actually know that uh, the guy with the addiction network, Abby, is, is real and he does exist. Well, I, I would be willing to bet money that Tom Brady definitely knows who you are. I can't wait to talk about him in a couple of minutes because, again, oh, yeah. this is Talk of Buffalo podcast. And I mean, I have guests on like yourself from all different walks of life. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of Bills fans who listen to this podcast. So if for no other reason, if they haven't heard some of your stuff before, when we get to some Tom Brady talk, I'm looking forward to that. But let me ask you this. All right, so I don't know if you had Twitter suspensions before that, but Sports Talk Barry is is the name. That's the one that blew up, right? That's my most popular one, yeah. Right, yeah. All right, well, what led to the first of what's been, like I said, a record-breaking amount of Twitter suspensions you've had over the last couple of years? Like, what was the, the first big one that you can remember that got you suspended? Well, I'll be honest with to this day, I... I still don't know for sure because i remember when i did get suspended i appealed it which is what you which is what twitter gives you the option to do and mm-hmm. i remember i never got an answer back so i can only assume that i first got suspended this was just like a few days after the 2016 election so this was like in mid-november of 2016 and i was pretending to be i don't know if you know who sean king is but sean king oh, yeah. is Sean King is this this race hustler. He's a white man who pretends to be black and he steals. He he like creates all these social justice foundations and then he uses them as a front to steal money. So I've always been on his case for a while and I always make fun of him. And so I was impersonating him on that account. I was just pretending to be him and I was saying all this these crazy things. And I think I tweeted something along the lines of we have to kill all white people. And so I think <laughs> that uh i think that was the one that did it i don't know for sure but i think that was and for anybody who might be offended i am white if you couldn't tell by my voice i am white so i was um it's not that's not an actual uh that was not something that i meant it was just a joke because sean king always talks about how he hates white people all the time but uh, (laughs) um I, i i would bet money that that was that was the one that did it have you ever had any tweets that or trolls that you like kind of regret it immediately afterwards or is your attitude like you know what fuck them if they can't take a joke i'm playing around you know i've had you know since i've been on twitter for over seven years there's there's been a few tweets i had that looking back i probably shouldn't have made you know i have an edgier sense of humor and yeah there are definitely some things that i look back and say yikes i probably shouldn't have tweeted that um but there's not there's really never been anything that i i would let me just say i think that for people who don't like me 
And the, the reasons they don't like me are because I tweet facts about their favorite athletes or teams that they have trouble accepting. Whenever they try to dig deep into my past and show screenshots of certain tweets that I made as kind of like a gotcha moment, I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, it is what it is. I said it. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't say it. But the only reason that you the reason you bring it up isn't because you actually care or that you're offended by it. You're only bringing it up because I made you butthurt by some tweets about your favorite athlete, most notably Patriots fans and Tom Brady. So, I mean, I just, I just be real with it, but yeah, there, there, there's been a few tweets over the years that I wish I, I could have back. But, um, at the end of the day, I still think that, uh, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty much a straight shooter when I'm not, you know, impersonating people and talking about marijuana overdoses. <laughs> you know, back in the day, like talk show hosts, they would always have some kind of catchphrase or like even today or in the past two wrestlers, they, they, they got their signature catchphrase. Yeah. Yours at one point, this is as I first got to know who you were and, and followed you on Twitter and stuff was you'd have something and then a tough scene. And yeah. because of that, like every time people, and this is the funniest shit, like I said, I spend, sometimes I spend literally hours just in your mentions because something you say is funny or controversial and the way people react to it is, is half of the fun of, of looking at your Twitter. Do you know what I'm saying? But like just watching people say whatever kind of scene it is and adding to it. That's become a thing. How'd you come up with a tough scene? Like they just pop in your mind and, you know, you describe something, say tough scene because that kind of became one of your signature catchphrases. Oh, it still is. Uh, yeah. I mean, every, every tweet I make, even still today, there was always I actually I had to mute the word scene because it's literally if I don't, then every single time after I tweet, it's just my mentions are just flooded with my my followers being like scene, 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 you know, so. Like it can get a little bit tedious at times. It can be a little bit annoying at times, but the fact that people are still, the fact that they still talk about it and they still use it, it's, it's, it's kind of an honor, but to, to get back to the question of how did I come up with it? I don't, I don't really know. That's kind of just, that's, it's one of those things where it just was, it just kind of sounded funny. Like, Oh, th- th- this is a tough scene. And if I remember I, I would look back on, some Twitter posts by reporters uh, when an athlete got injured and they would say, Oh, this is a tough scene here. You know, so-and-so athlete, you know, went down. I remember there was, there was a tweet from like early 2014 when Julius Randall, uh, he was with the Lakers when Julius Randall with the Lakers got hurt in his career debut. And there was a tweet by Rachel Nichols. And she said something like, Oh, tough scene here at the Staples center. You know, Julius Randall's going to be out for the year. Oh my God. And so I saw that and I was like, that's, that's kind of an interesting phrase. You know, it's kind of a tough scene. And so it just kind of caught on and it's something that you can really apply to anything. It's not just sports. It's, oh, well, Hey, my wife slept with another man. Oh, that's a tough scene. You know, like it just, it just, it describes really anything that's unpleasant and it really fits in well anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Now for people who don't know, maybe your most famous troll involved Skip Bayless, tell people oh, no, maybe about, about yeah, that's true. All right, so tell people about like the fake news, Chris Paul, James Harden, uh, series of tweets and reports that you put out there that worked successfully with Skip Bayless. He ended up talking about it on Undisputed with Shannon Sharp. Tell us about that. Oh well, this was this was uh in la- this was last June, right after the NBA Finals, and this was when reports were coming out about there was tension between 
Chris Paul and James Harden on the Rockets. And so I, I did my thing where, you know, I pretended to be Wojanowski and I was pretending, oh, you know, I, so I, I just came up with some stupid shit. I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, Chris Paul is making fun of James Harden's man boobs because Harden's kind of fat. <laughs> and the thing, is, the thing is that Harden doesn't even have man boobs. So that's what kind of what made it funny. But so I just I tweeted that and I did this whole little thread about, oh, they were making fun of people on on they were making fun of each other on on plane rides and things like that and it was this big thread and it did well and i just i made it and i was like hey you know that was a good troll and this was i made it like late at night and so i was like well that was a good troll so i wake up the next morning and my mentions are just completely flooded with dude you got skip bayless you fooled skip bayless and i was thinking what what are they talking like what are my followers talking about so they're sending me clips of Skip Bayless on national television going, you know, can you believe that James Harden, Chris Paul was making fun of James Harden's man boobs and that he, you know, <laughs> Chris Paul made James Harden leave practice crying a couple times because he was making fun of his man boobs. And I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing because I was like, you gotta be, you gotta be shitting me. Like I, it, this was one of those things where the actual, the original troll as it, as it was happening was great, but I, in my wildest dreams, I, I never thought that it would somehow be able to slip by all the people there. Like, I don't understand how they wouldn't know that it wasn't real, like what, how it wasn't fake. So to this day, I still don't know how it got by, but you know, that was even doesn't matter how often I get suspended. It doesn't matter wh- whenever I post that clip. Uh, Skip Bayless saying that and you can see you can look at Shannon Sharp's face during the segment and he's kind of trying to hold back laughs because even he's kind of like this sounds this sounds kind of like bullshit but he wasn't you know he's kind of holding back a laugh it doesn't matter whenever I tweet that at any point at any time of the day it it just gets a ton of retweets and likes it's just it's it's never ending it, it's one of those things that's gonna always be funny forever and and so far that's that's you know my my uh my apex, if you want to call it that, when it comes to trolling. Yeah, I'll tell you, man. I call it the Barry rule. I've been following you now for a couple of years, and some of your trolls are, I think, like intentionally outlandish. I like you got to be really stupid to buy into it. But then you have some that are really authentic looking, and I'm always doing a double take, having to click the profile, see if there's a blue check mark next to it or whatever. You take a lot of pride in fooling the blue check marks. That's for sure. That's the thing is when you're talking about. You, you said some of my trolls are really, really outlandish. And I think that that's kind of, that, that's kind of the delicate balance is you want to try and find, you want to try and make a troll tweet that is outlandish, but it's just believable enough to the point where people won't just look at it and say, oh, oh, that's fake. Like right away, like they would, they might be able to. It's like if I said, "Oh, there was uni- there were unicorns at so and so practice day." People are like, "Oh, yeah, that's that's not real," you know, because it's obviously right. not real. But if I, but like that's I kind of what made that's kind of what made the man boob story perfect was because like if you just on its face it just sounds like the most ridiculous thing. Like you're talking about two mega millionaire superstar basketball players f- making each other cry because they're making fun of somebody's man boobs. Like on the surface, that sounds hilarious, but it's like it's just feasible enough to where you could kind of see it happening, but not really. So that's what made that so great. But I always say my favorite trolls that I make aren't necessarily the ones that are the most successful per se, but the ones that are so outlandish, but not outlandish to a point where they're not 
totally unbelievable. Like another example, if I can go on, is sure. uh, a few months ago, this was, I think this was like in April or something. And I was talking about how, uh, you know, the whole Rudy Gobert situation where Rudy Gobert was the one, he was like patient zero and he was giving everybody COVID. And I, I made a tweet impersonating Wojnowski saying, oh, you know, Rudy Gobert was going around kissing teammates on the lips in the locker room and spreading COVID. And it was just like it, it, tons of verified accounts fell for it. And it just, it was, I was laughing so hard because I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like you actually think that this seven foot two French guy was going around kissing people on the lips in the locker room. And yet they, they still thought like just the mental image of it was hilarious to me. And so I was like, Hey, that's great. So like, and I get, I get a lot more satisfaction out of that than me saying, Oh, well, a certain player, just a certain plain type of fake tweet like oh a certain player like if i say oh aaron Rodgers has retired it's not really funny i'm just kind of doing it to try and see if i can get any blue checks but i don't i don't find it humorous i don't find the content of the tweet humorous but i always i always like the outlandish tweets more the ones that are more on the zany side yeah for sure let me point out a couple signature fun facts about barry mccockiner um you respect the troops more than anyone ever That's you're right. a you're a seven-time racism hater of the year award winner. That's a world record. That's a, it is a world record. Your yeah. girl loves the company of other men. She comforts them in tough times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fact. You're you're a pioneer. <laughs> what else we got here? Oh, you're a pioneer in teaching the masses about the dangers of marijuana and marijuana overdoses. That's my personal favorite. Yeah. And also, you're the first person to point out that. Barack Obama did not run for a third term because he's afraid of Donald Trump. It's quite a resume, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I mean, I just I just call things like I see it, and I, I say things that other people are afraid to say. And I think you talk about the marijuana overdoses. I mean, there have been over five hundred billion marijuana deaths since Obama took office in January of two thousand and nine, and I don't think it's a coincidence, you know. Uh, and as opposed for. Obama being afraid to run for a third term against Trump. I mean, that's the truth. And and I always get people telling me, oh, well, you can't run for a third term. And I just say, well, look at Franklin Roosevelt. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt ran for four terms. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a really big history major. I know my history um, because I'm, I'm an incredibly smart person. So, I mean, it, it, people. I think people are just jealous that I'm smarter than them when it comes to history and political facts like that. Yeah, I completely agree now. Now, you made your bones first on Facebook and Twitter, but You've expanded your brand as well. One of them is with the Class Act podcast. I think you've had like mm-hmm. 62 episodes so far. Now you kind of, you put those out there when you feel like it. There's no like consistent, this is going to be every Thursday when you have something to say, at least from what I see, because I, I subscribe to your podcast. I listen to pretty much all the episodes. They come out when you feel like you got something to say. It's charted a couple times. It's obviously very entertaining. Do you personally enjoy doing a podcast or for you, is it, Part of like that obligation that comes with building a brand and other social media venues for you besides just like Twitter or Facebook. I enjoy the podcast. I enjoy the podcast. But before that's kind of the good thing about being my own boss is that I can I can distribute it whenever I feel like it. And unfortunately, with the pandemic, you know, and zapping all the sports, it's kind of I try my best to to stick to sports on my podcast, although I'll dive into movies and, and stuff like that as well. But, you know, the last few months without sports, it's really been 
difficult to try and, and come up with topics to talk about. And I don't really like putting out podcast. I like putting out usually my podcast episodes are like half an hour, 45 minutes long on average, I would say. And it, mm-hmm. it's tough to just kind of being a one man show. It, it's tough to do that and, and try and find enough things to talk about to fill that much time. And, and also make it something that isn't just filler and dead air. You know, I, I try my best to actually make it somewhat interesting. And, you know, uh, really ever since I started focusing a lot more on building my YouTube, I haven't really been as focused on my podcast as I was before. But, um, yeah, you know, once once sports come back and once there's more to talk about, there's definitely going to be a lot more frequent podcast episodes than there have been the last couple months. It feels like a great platform for you to be able to say what's on your mind in long form instead of just a series of 280 character tweets that sometimes on the surface, it can be hard to understand the context is Barry McCockner having some fun joking around or is he being serious? Like for an example, when you talk about Tom Brady on Twitter, if people don't hear you speak of him ever, if they never have, they might think you're joking, but make no mistake about it. You put on no, the Glass no. Act podcast and you go on one of your Brady rants. People know you ain't fucking around. And I mean, you dig in deep too when you have something to say as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of America is that you get to say your opinions. And, uh, you know, I mean, there might be some ramifications to it. But I I, I like to think that I have a, a good grasp of of what's really going on there. And I try my best to... That, that's kind of that's kind of the ironic thing is for I'm, I'm known as a troll account, but I always feel like I keep it more real when it comes down to it than a lot of people do, um, um, because I think a lot of people are swayed one way or the other based on politics or their job. And for me, I just kind of I just I just kind of leave it all out there where, yeah, I'll make some jokes and I'll troll. But when it comes to a certain issue and I really want to get down to it, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the truth and I'll tell like it is. I won't bullshit people, you know? And I think that's, and you know, you talked about how, when I really want to, I can actually talk about being knowledgeable about sports or, or other, or other topics. And I think that that's something that's a big reason for why my followers keep coming back is, is for the mixture of funny troll tweets and tricking people and the fact that they get some some informed sports takes that aren't just the same recycled cliche garbage that uh, that pollutes most of the talk shows and airwaves that you see every day on on TV. Yeah, I, listen, I couldn't agree more. And I've, I said this right at the top. It's that balance, that mixture of dry humor and actual serious sports takes that really drawn me to you. As a fan, one of the reasons why I, no matter what, if you lose that Twitter account, I'm always finding the next one and I'm on the next one. And that's exactly the Mm -hmm. reason. Now, you mentioned YouTube. That's a part of your brand that I personally particularly enjoy. Uh, You're up to over 25,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel right now. How's that process been? It seems to me, at least personally, like we just talked about your podcast. That's something you do. And I'm sure to at least a certain extent anyway, you certainly enjoy doing it. But it feels like to me on the surface, I could tell by the work that you put into these videos. It, it feels to me like you enjoy doing YouTube videos a lot. Well, the thing about YouTube is that it's making a making a podcast episode is, is way way easier than making sure. a, a YouTube video. I mean, a YouTube video that you're actually 
trying to put effort into. I mean, you, you can make some shitty little YouTube videos and things like that. But when I, I've, I've always been more of a, a quality over quantity type of guy. So even now when I'm trying to build my YouTube, I don't, I don't necessarily put out a ton of videos. I'll put out a video once every few weeks and maybe I should start to put out a few more, uh, more frequently, but you still, it's kind of like, for me, I don't really want to make a YouTube video about something unless I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And so that's why, like for, for instance, right now I'm, I'm doing a, uh, I'm in the middle of my next, making my next YouTube video, which is going to talk about why Steph Curry going to be like an in-depth look at Steph Curry still having zero finals MVPs. And because that's something that I'm passionate about, it's something that I enjoy doing, you know, but I, I I'm, I'm really, I am disappointed in myself that I didn't start really pushing my YouTube really until uh, five or six months ago. And I'm, I'm pissed at myself that I didn't push it when I had a, a bigger following a few, a few years ago, because I feel like I could be further along than I am now, because when it comes to, that's one thing that I'm, that I am surprised about with YouTube. It's kind of, it's a little bit tedious to try and get people to subscribe. You know, you got to kind of, it's almost like you're really basically begging my followers that's where a large portion of my subscribers have come from is my followers because I'm trying to get my right. followers to migrate from Twitter over to YouTube because Twitter isn't, isn't stable. I get suspended all the time. And while YouTube is there, it's kind of like a think of it like a savings account where I just keep building up this credit. And, but you know, it's, it's, it's I, I honestly thought when I first started pushing my YouTube channel that it was going to be, Hey, everybody go subscribe. And I would get, couple hundred subscribers every time i did it but really it's you know you kind of have to you have to actually if you want people to subscribe you actually have to put in the work and i've learned that and so that's why i really started to put a lot more effort the past few months into learning how to make videos like on imovie uh it took me a while to figure out how to just to work my way around imovie at first it was at first when i first started opening it it was like trying to read calculus, but as I got more used to it, I was like, Hey, you know, this is actually kind of cool. It's, it's something that I can actually enjoy doing. And it's something that I think really, I, I truly think that the sky is the limit for my YouTube channel, because we've, we've talked about several times that the thing that I guess separates me from other troll accounts is that I know about sports. And I think that this is a new way for me to kind of blend my sports knowledge and my humor together into videos that people can enjoy. And I mean, let's be honest, it's also a way for me to make money. That's another thing. Sure. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money to be made. And you, you think about all these big, big YouTubers, they make a shitload of money. Now I'm not saying that that's going to be me, but I truly think that in time, if I consistently continue to produce content that, that uh, I'm going to have a future there. And I, so that's why I think YouTube is my platform of the future uh, as opposed to Twitter, unfortunately, just because Twitter, I can't really, you know, I can get suspended at any moment. Yeah, no question about it. Let me ask you this. How long does it take you, generally speaking, to put out one of these videos? It's not quick and easy work like some people may think. And let me say this too. You know, it's easy to have a YouTube channel like for an example, I have a YouTube channel and what I'll probably do is in, like this interview, I'll probably take one or two highlight clips 
and I'll put it out on the video. But that make no mistake about it, man. That's just going to be a still shot of your likeness. Maybe one or two other still photos that get blended in on a topic that we may be hitting on. Dude, that's quick and easy work. That's an hour. Now, at the beginning of this podcast, before I brought you in, I played the audio version of your five worst quarterbacks in NFL history. And the shit's fucking hilarious. But only hearing the audio version, you could easily think, all right, man, Barry got on his computer, started recording, and bam, that was it. You put a lot of work into those videos. There's tons and tons and tons and tons of highlight clips in there. Like, how long yeah. does it take you to put together a video like that? Because again, and I'm not just saying it's because you're on the podcast right now. This is one of the things that I like about you. That that took a lot of work. Even whether it's a serious content, whether it's joking around like your Big Ben um, YouTube video, it's just a lot of oh, yeah. images and a lot of videos blend in together, man. That shit takes fucking time to do. Yeah, I mean, you gotta... It's kind of like putting together a puzzle piece in a way where you try and plan out you have to first figure out what exactly you want to talk about and the way you're going to format it. And then you got to try and find pieces of evidence or videos or pictures, and you got to put them in order, the order that you want. And then you got to find, then you got to make the audio and you got to somehow make the audio go along with the pictures and the videos in just the right way. And then, I mean, so there's definitely a process to it. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's like it's trying to build a rocket ship or anything, but it can be in the early stages. It can be a little bit confusing. Like if you truly are trying to make a quality video, I mean, that's, that's, it's kind of just like anything where if you want to actually make something that's worthwhile, it's going to take some time. You can't just half ass right. it. And when it comes to, that's why when it came to, uh, the quarterback, the, my latest YouTube video about the quarterbacks, you know, you go, I mean, I would say it, it wasn't like finding buried treasure. You can just go on YouTube and you can click on highlights for certain quarterbacks and you can edit those videos into the certain throws that you want. And then you, you make those videos cut ups of just those certain throws. And then you add that to your video. And so that's what I, that's what I've done. And that's what I'm doing now with, my Steph Curry video that's currently in progress is I'm trying to find highlights from certain series and certain shots that he's made. And so the trying to trying to find all of that and put it in the right order and have an audio and, and descriptions and things like that, but have an audio that's not only informative, but it's also kind of humorous. And, you know, for instance, in this latest YouTube video with the quarterbacks, I talk about how, you know, Aaron Rodgers went to Cal Berkeley. And the Unabomber also worked at Cal Berkeley. And so I was thinking, does Aaron, so I said, does Aaron Rodgers secretly support the Unabomber? Now, like, just say that out loud. It's just fucking ridiculous. But like in the, just in the, in the midst of the video, it's kind of like the video goes from having like stats. And then all of a sudden you hear a Unabomber joke and just kind of like, that's kind of like my unique little spin on it. So everybody's different. My type of, my humor is, is really, really fucked up and, and, and out there. I think that was a little example of it, but I try to always find just the right balance of knowing stats and giving my real opinion and also trying to throw in a little bit of humor in there just so the people who are watching the video aren't completely bored and falling asleep from it. One of your biggest strengths, I think anyway, is that you could take like, say this latest video with the quarterbacks, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes and premarital sex. You can say something that's outlandish, but you make it sound like it's serious as cancer as you're saying it. Do you ever 
record something, whether it's for a YouTube video or on your podcast, or you might have to stop yourself because you're laughing at like your own shit. Like if I'm describing a couple, like some of the videos that you put out, if I were to try to describe a couple of them, like say a yeah. Patrick Mahomes highlight reel, I, I know you're having that dry humor going on. I can't even fucking describe it without having to stop and laugh. I don't know how you could possibly sit down and record something and not have to do many takes because you're not laughing at your own shit. Well, the the marijuana overdoses are usually the ones that I, I laugh at the most because it's something that just for me, I'm always like, it, it's just, it's almost like Groundhog Day really where you got, you got, you know, some tr- Trump or some big other, some other big politician will, will make a tweet and I'll be right under there right away. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, my cousin died from a marijuana overdose. You know, he injected marijuana into his ass. And it's just like the thought of, you know, just, just the, the actual thought of somebody like putting a marijuana bud into a syringe and injecting it into their ass is just the fact that that kind of goes over people's heads and they're strictly focused on the overdose part. It's just something that always, it it still makes me laugh, even though I've made the same joke countless times. Now it's kind of like Shaq prime Shaq when he was in his, when he was at his peak, it's like, you know what Shaq's going to do. He's going to go down there and the paint's going to slam. He's going to dunk the ball in your face and you can't stop it. And that's kind of what it feels like doing the people have criticized me for, Oh, you do the same jokes over and over again. I'm like, well, you know, they still work. So what do you want me to do? Right. Like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I go in there and uh, I make the marijuana jokes. Those always make me laugh the most probably because just, it's just so stupid and outlandish. And it's one of those things where it does, it's not really offensive to anybody. It's not, it's not, you know, hurting anybody's feelings. It's just a purely stupid joke. It's just funny to laugh at and picture. And, and um, as opposed to, um, well, as, as for the, uh, the YouTube videos, you know, there were some Michael Jordan voiceover videos that I made where I was talking about, you know, the, the competition that he played. And, and that's one of my other biggest uh, running gags that helped me become popular was I would always like you like you alluded to where I would talk about I, I would give these kind of blue collar everyday job descriptions to his finals opponents where I'd say, <laughs> oh, you know. Michael Jordan played against, you know, ice cream truck drivers or he played against off duty firefighters and just think, and, you know, just, just the image of that was always funny. And what made it even funnier was how it would always piss off Michael Jordan fans. And it's like the stupidest thing in the world to be mad about. It's like, imagine if you're a Michael Jordan fan or you're a LeBron hater and you fucking throw a temper tantrum because I was saying that Michael Jordan played against firefighters. Like it just, that's to me, that's funny. And that that's certainly not funny to everybody, but to me, I always found that to be hilarious. And so that's, that's why I, I do it. And I mean, apparently a lot of other people find it funny too, because I've gotten a following from, from doing it, but, and, and I'm very grateful for that. But so to circle all the way back to your question, when I'm done rambling, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there are certainly some times where I'll, I'll be making a video and I'll laugh, but you know, I've always been a guy with with dry humor and and, and a very sleek sense of humor, tongue in cheek, so to speak. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, like you you were just talking about your signature go to jokes about Michael Jordan's competition or or marijuana overdoses. They're harmless, and you can tell by the people. Like I said, when you have a tweet about marijuana overdoses, the mentions are fucking class. They're they're absolutely hilarious. Oh yeah, and I feel like oh, yeah. because you do that now. Let's say if you were 
talking constantly about heroin overdoses. That might not be so funny because that's like real and that's legit. Yeah. And people are going to come at you saying, you know, you know, my brother or whoever that happened to them. But who the fuck's ever died from a marijuana overdose of injecting it into their ass? And it just makes it so funny. Now, I'll tell you what, dude, because this is a Buffalo based podcast and I kind of want to work in a little Buffalo here, at least indirectly. Tom Brady. OK, mm-hmm. this is one of the biggest reasons why I initially became such a big fan of yours. You hate this dude. People in Buffalo don't already know who you are, they're delighted to learn right now that you consider Tom Brady one of, if not the most overrated athlete in NFL history, certainly amongst quarterbacks. And for added bonus, you fucking hate New England Patriots fans too. For Bills fans out there listening, and there's a lot of them, give us a little bit of insight on why you think Tom Brady is overrated. Well, I don't think he's the most overrated player in NFL history. I think he's the most overrated player in sports history. And I mean, the guy, first, if you want a little tidbit, the guy has a worse career playoff passer rating than Tim Tebow, Blake Bortles and Mark Sanchez. So that's just off the start. Like I could, I mean, we could have an entire hour long podcast of me just completely dissecting Brady's career bit by bit and shitting on it and showing why he's overrated. Uh, But unfortunately we don't have that much time, but you know, I just, I've always, I've, Brady's been in the league for what, 20 years now. And I've watched Mm -hmm. him, you know, when when he first became a starter in 2001, I was, I was seven years old and I was just old enough to be able to start watching the league and kind of remember on a consistent basis what was happening. So he's really kind of been in the league ever since I can remember. And I've watched his entire career and there's just never been anything about him that made me go oh my god this guy is the best i've ever seen because all he does is throw a bunch of fucking dink and dunk passes and he's a cheater he's been caught cheating several times uh you know he makes out with kids he does all of this stuff (laughs) and the thing that always pisses me off about brady is his entire claim to being considered the greatest of all time is based on rings and in order to win those rings, he has had more luck and he's gotten bailed out more consistently by flukish shit than any other quarterbacks easily, but really any other player in any sport that I can think of. I mean, think about the tuck rule. You think about if you want to go wait, I, I, I'm just kind of reeling off off the top of my head here. Start off with the tuck rule. You got to talk about Drew Bennett dropping a, a gimme pass deep in Patriots territory in the 2003 playoffs. You talk about John Casey kicking the ball out of bounds in Super Bowl 38. You want to talk about Marlon McCree fumbling the ball back in 2006. I mean, you got to talk about the 2007 AFC Championship game where he got to play against the Chargers team that had a, a quarterback playing on a fucking torn ACL and no Dane Tomlinson. And then you talk about the 2011 AFC Championship game with the Lee Evans drop and the Billy Cundiff whiffing on the short field goal. And then you got the Malcolm Butler interception. And then you got two years later, which is the one that really sticks in my crawl the most, is the 28 to 3 comeback where the Falcons just like they just completely forgot how to play football. And it was to this day, that's like the most embarrassing. That, that, that's the biggest choke to me in sports history was what the Falcons did. And the fact that it benefited Brady was just just still pisses me off uh, today. But, you know, you had Brady had multiple dropped interceptions and then the Falcons had some stupid things where they instead of just 
taking a couple knees and kicking a field goal. They decided to try and pass and they get called for holding and they move themselves out of field goal range. And then fast forward again to the Miles Jack fumble, which would have ended the game for the Patriots against the Jaguars in the 2017 AFC Championship game. And then you move fast forward the next year after that. And then you got the D Ford play where Brady got bailed out of a season ending interception. So you really, you can change, you can change just four plays and Brady goes from being considered the greatest of all time with six rings to a guy that at best has two Spygate tainted rings in almost 20 years as a starter. Those four plays are the tuck rule, which would have taken away a Super Bowl appearance in a ring. You had Malcolm Butler's interception, which literally any team with any sort of common sense would have just handed the ball off to Marshawn Lynch and they would have scored. That's another ring taken away. You talk about the Falcons meltdown. The the play I talk about is the Edelman catch, which should have been an interception. So if the Falcons catch that ball like they should have, that would have ended the game. That's a third ring taken away. Then you talk about the fourth play is the D Ford offsides, which was another ring and Super Bowl appearance taken away. So obviously I know a lot about Tom Brady's playoff history, if you couldn't tell already. But <laughs> oh yeah, the fact that his entire claim, like when I talk like, I don't know if we're going to get to this later, but I think LeBron is the best basketball player of all time. But, and I, and I think that Michael Jordan and his, you know, six and zero finals record and all that stuff. I think that's, that's a stupid argument. But the thing about Michael Jordan was he was the clear cut best player of his era. Like he, he was the clear, he was the most dominant. He put up fucking crazy production consistently through his entire career with the Bulls. Whereas with Brady, he, he's been the best quarterback in the league. What? Once? Twice? In 18 years? Like, there are other quarterbacks in his own era who have consistently outproduced him, especially most notably was Peyton Manning. You got a guy like Aaron Rodgers. You got Drew Brees. Now the new league. Now you got the new school, which is guys like Patrick Mahomes. You know, so there are guys like, I think those four guys just, you know, just off the top of my head, are, are all better than Brady. You go back further. I looked at Dan Marino clips. He was easily better than Tom Brady, uh, as much as that might piss off some old time Bills fans. But um, you know, to compliment a Miami Dolphin like that. But uh, you know, there, there's just, there's nothing about him that has ever really made me think, "Wow!" Like when I watch him play with my own two eyes, I don't see a guy who I think is the best ever, and I don't care. Like. You can say his style of a play. You can say his style of play is effective, which it obviously is because that he's won consistently a lot. But you talk about uh, like the, the argument comes down to this. It's either do you think Tom Brady has won so much because he's just this supernatural, unbelievable God level talent, or has he won so much because he's consistently had elite defenses? because he's consistently had the best average starting field position, because he's consistently had the best special teams, because he's consistently played in a shitty division. No offense, Bills fans, but for the last 20 years or so, ever, oh, since, no Jim Kelly left, ever since Jim Kelly left, you guys have, you know, you guys had Trent Edwards, you know, captain check down there. And, you know, you had some JP Lossman. There was some really, really lean years there. Uh, but so the AFC East has never really put up much of a fight against the Patriots. So, it was like a perfect storm of shit outside of Brady's control that has really, really driven a lot of his success. And 
combined with all the good luck he's had in in big moments and the fact that he's been bailed out consistently, uh, I just I just think he's the most overrated. I I consider I I think a player is overrated when they get un, when they get undeserved credit for their team's success. And in my opinion, there's never been another player in any sport that has gotten more undeserved credit than Tom Brady. And I think if, if there is a season this year, I think, you know, you're going to see people do it with the Buccaneers where, you know, Tom Brady is joining a team who last year had a, people talk about, Oh, Jameis threw 30 interceptions, you know, and that's obviously, you know, Jameis Winston stinks and he, and he's also a probable rapist, but, and he was blind, but like, you know, the Buccaneers, despite all of that shit, they were still one of the best offenses in the league. And Brady is joining a team that has Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and now Gronkowski, who might not be prime Gronk, but he's still better than a ton of other tight ends out there. So Brady is joining a team that was already really good offensively. So if Brady does well offensively here, it's going to be, oh, well, see, Brady see how I thought Brady was assistant quarterback. You know, it's like, well, you know, he's, he's basically moving from a hundred million dollar mansion in new England to a $95 million mansion in Tampa Bay with the skill players they have. So it's like, you're going from one great situation to another great situation as far as the offense is concerned. And, you know, so it, it it's kind of like, I can already tell what's going to happen. I can already tell if the, if the Buccaneers do well, uh, if their defense gets better, then Brady's going to be the one that reaps all the benefits. And so, that, again, I'm rambling here. I'm sorry, uh, but you know, it's just, it's just, I just, I just, I, I, I'm very open and very honest that I want to see Tom Brady fail. I take great pleasure in watching Tom Brady eat shit. There's nothing that makes me feel better as a sports fan than watching Tom Brady eat shit. That is something because because it makes Patriots fans sad. And if I could say one more thing, Patriots fans, like when you say Patriots fans, you really, it's really basically you're saying Tom Brady fans. You can already see why all the amounts of Patriots fans who have defected and are now Buccaneers fans. So that's why I call them Brady tards. You know, they're they're Tom Brady fans. They're not Patriots fans. They're Brady tards. And I have great disdain and I have a disdain that will never die for them. And I, I truly believe that when Tom Brady finally decides to retire, which cannot be sued enough, that the NFL will be a much, much better place. Oh, and, and I, I lied. One more thing. Tom Brady oh, also keep going. sells. I love it. He sells junk science to the masses with his shady ass trainer, Alex Guerrero, who once got caught trying to pass off sugar pills as a cure for cancer and AIDS. This is who Tom Brady keeps company with. And Tom Brady goes and he sells his bullshit TB12 shit and he, he fucking offers it up like, oh, it, but if you follow this, then you'll be healthy and you can live like me, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, you go and you actually read what he's saying. He's saying in the book, in the manual, whatever you want to call it. He's like, you know, you got to drink half your body weight in ounces of water every day. Never mind the fact that doing that can potentially distill your blood and kill you. So he literally is just. He just fucking, he's a phony. He's a cheater. He's a system quarterback. He's easily replaceable. That's just, my, that's it. That's my Tom Brady rant, my closing argument. He also sells 
Shweto signs to the masses, and he makes out with kids for an uncomfortably long amount of time. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, dude. So this is a Buffalo based podcast, but I'm actually living down here in Florida right now, at least anyway. And I'm less than 45 minutes from Tampa, and I could already smell it. I could already hear all the Brady talk. And mm-hmm. I fucking got away from it in Buffalo, and I got to deal with it down here. And it pisses me off because you're 100% right. This team is loaded. They got a lot of talent. And I'll tell you what, their defense. Defense on defense underachieved last year, but they do got the talent. And if they put it together, yeah, they're going to be a good team. He's going to get way too much fucking credit. Another thing too, during your rant, uh, that one season where he tore his ACL and week one, I think it was 2008. They won an 11 and five without him that year. That, that's another thing that, that I forgot to mention um, is that, you know, the Tom Brady goes down with a torn ACL. Thanks to American hero, Bernard Pollard. And, the, fuck, the Patriots fucking replace him with a guy who literally hadn't started an organized football game since high school. Literally. They fucking replaced him with a high school quarterback, and they still won 11 games, and they still had a top five offense, and they still had this great offense, and they, they missed the playoffs because of a fluke. Okay, the, the 2008 Patriots had the same record as the 2001 and 2018 Patriots who won the Super Bowl and got first round buys. So all the Brady tards who come in and they're like, oh, my God, you know, they missed the playoffs, though. Bleh. And then they say, oh, well, the year before that with Brady, they won 16 games. But, you know, but, but guess what? The year after that, they won one fewer game with Brady than they did with Castle in 2008. Now, am I saying that Tom Brady is worse than Matt Castle? No. But, I mean, being better than, than Matt Castle, I mean, is that, that's like your goat argument. That's your argument for being the best ever. Like, I've seen Patriots fans literally try to argue me like, oh, well, Matt Castle was actually a good quarterback because he made a Pro Bowl. Well, guess what? Vince Young made two Pro Bowls. You think I give a shit? Like, who fucking cares about the Pro Bowl? Matt Castle was fucking garbage. And the Patriots made him look like a legitimate starting quarterback. So that's so the Patriots system and the fact you also talk about 2016 when Tom Brady got suspended for cheating for four games. They went three and one with him without him. And Jimmy Garoppolo was putting up great numbers before he hurt his shoulder against the dolphins that year. I mean, so I, I just think, you know, you're making me, you're got me going on another rant here where I try my best. I said, I wasn't <laughs> going to ramble. I said, I wasn't going to ramble. But I just have so much. I just have like, this is that's the thing. When, when Brady fans tell me, Oh, you're just a stupid troll. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I do. Like, I, I can go. I can keep going on for hours and hours because I know all this stuff. And the thing about the thing about the 2008 Patriots is they finished 11 and five, but they were really just a handful of plays away from going 13 and three. If you go back and you watch the 2008 Patriots versus Colts game, Jabbar Gaffney in that game dropped mm-hmm. a sure touchdown that would have that would have given the Patriots the lead. And in the Thursday night game against the Jets they had that year, uh, Mike Vrabel got called for a really questionable penalty on a late drive by the Jets that that extended the game. So they were literally just a handful of plays away from being the one seed in the AFC that year without Brady. So, you know, that's and as as we're saying this, as we're recording this podcast now, you know, it seems like I think like six Patriots players have decided to opt out for the season, this upcoming season this year. So, you know, if Patriots don't do as as well this year as they did last year, I'm sure, uh, you know, 
Brady fans will find a way to say it's because they lost Tom and not the fact that, you know, half their starting lineup is sitting out due to a global pandemic. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And one other thing, I, I think it was in 2012, Lee Evans, who used to play for the Bills, dropped a touchdown pass late in the game against New England in the playoffs that would have beat them. That's what yep. I wanted to ask you, though. I want to get your thoughts on the AFC East this year, because there's if there's ever a year where the Buffalo Bills should be ready to pounce and win this division, it's this year. You just brought it up. So they've already lost Brady. They lost Kyle Van Noy. They lost Jamie Collins already. And now people have opted out. Key players, too, like Dante Hightower, Marcus Collins, Patrick Chung. This team's decimated. Yeah, they got Cam Noonan, but you know what? Who knows what Cam Noonan you're getting at this point. So what do you think of Cam Noonan right now going into 2020 if you are a Patriots fan? And again, do you agree that if there is a year for the Bills to finally win this fucking division, is going to be this year? <clears throat> well, I think when it comes to Cam Newton, I think it all depends whether or not the Patriots defense is going to be as dominant as it was last year. Because Tom Brady was absolute dog shit last year, and the Patriots still won 12 games because their defense was one of the best defenses in recent memory. And they, they admittedly beat up on some um, weaker offenses, but still, uh, they were a dominant defense last year. If the Patriots defense is anywhere close to as good as they were last year, basically all Cam Newton has to be is kind of just be a game manager and maybe, you know, win the game with his legs. Obviously, they're going to they're going to have more of a mobile attack with him because he's probably the greatest, uh, maybe excluding Lamar Jackson in time. We'll see. But, you know, as of right now, I think Cam Newton is the most accomplished running quarterback in history. Uh, I think in a few years, Lamar Jackson might might take that title. But for right now. I think it's Cam. Right. So obviously they're going to try and, and suit. That's one of the things that makes the Patriots so great is, hey, is as much as I hate to say it, is that they really adapt their game plan to the personnel they have, which is why when it comes to Brady, they always made a lot of short passes because he's not very talented. But with with Cam, it's like, hey, we got this this guy who's still super athletic and he's supposedly healthy and he's only you know 31 years old. So, I mean, it's not like he's a, a, a super, super old guy. It's not like he's, you know, 41 or 43, like, like, you know, these older quarterbacks. So he supposedly still has some prime years left. They'll probably try to make a more mobile game with him. So I think the Patriots are still going to be formidable in the AFC East, regardless of, uh, of what happens with the opt-outs and things like that. Uh, so I could see them winning about 10, 11 games again. As for the Bills, the, the question is, like, the Bills' defense is another team last year. The Bills' defense was really, really good last year. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to the question, basically, can the Bills win the AFC East? It basically comes down to whether or not Josh Allen improves. And to me, Josh Allen, I mean, this, this is going to, might, I might lose some of the fans that I might have gained from my Brady ramp, but I just, I just don't see it when it comes to Josh Allen. Like, I see a guy who plays with a lot of heart. You know, he's, he's a great, he's a, he's a great athlete. Obviously everybody knows about the arm, but I see a guy who he doesn't have a lot of pocket presence. He always tries to, he's a great athlete, but I think he relies too much on that athleticism. And by that, I mean, if he senses any sort of pressure, he bails and he runs and that's great sometimes, but you know, it, it, in the long term, it's kind of like, well, you know, if you're going to be here long term, you got to stop subjecting yourself to so many big hits. And that's kind of ironically what shortened Cam Newton's time in Carolina was he got hit so much. That's kind of the double. It's a double edged sword. you got a great athlete, a quarterback. He can get you a lot of yards on the ground with his legs, but he's also opening himself up to a lot more physical punishment than 
pocket passers yeah. to get the ball out quickly. And Allen really he struggles with the accuracy, especially the long accuracy. Like he kind you know there's there's plenty of clips about how uh, him of him overthrowing receivers. I I, tr- I think though that the Bills, if Josh Allen can can become even a little bit more consistent, I really I think the Bills are gonna have a good chance at winning the AFC East if their defense doesn't regress. I think that this year's I think I'm trying to find a way to word this. You know, this there's some parallels between the 2018 Bears and the 2019 Bills in terms of you had an elite defense that was kind of held back by uh, a quarterback. And last mm-hmm. year, the Bears regressed from their 2018 when they went 12 and four. And my gut says that might happen with the Bills this year, unless like, but again, it all falls on Josh Allen. Um then obviously the other two teams in the in the in the division with the Jets and the and the Dolphins. I mean, I don't have, I've I've never understood what the uh, the big deal was about Darnold. I don't know. I, even at USC, I was never really impressed by him. So the Jets are the Jets. They're a mess. Their roster sucks. The Dolphins. I I, I think Brian Flores is a good coach. I think that's one thing. Like I I like Brian Flores as a coach, but again, it just comes down to talent. And right now, it's like their 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 future relies all on how Tua Tagovailoa pans out. And so that's a complete wild card right now. So, I mean, I don't think the Jets or Dolphins are going to be in the mix by the end of the year. Uh, I think it's going to be between either the Bills or the Patriots. And my gut, you know, gun to my head, my guts, my gun to my head says uh, the Patriots are going to win. And if the Patriots don't win it, then I think COVID is going to win the division. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I look, that's very fair. Um Josh Allen takes are very unbiased, very fair. I agree. I do think he's got a lot of room to improve. I think he has some physical skills to improve. I think Stephon Diggs might help the offense. That's a very accomplished weapon that they did not have last year. But at the same token, I agree with you 100%. His, for having the best arm in the NFL, the worst part of his game last year wasn't even so much as mid to, to short passing accuracy. It was a long ball. He was awful at it last year. And in terms of being an athlete, I, I'm glad you said, the Cam Newton comparison, because the guy takes a lot of hits so far. I mean, it's only two years in. He got mm-hmm. banged up his rookie year. He missed a couple of games. I think he hurt his elbow. And then last year, he got a mild concussion against New England. That could have been worse. He was able to come back from that. But yeah, that's always a danger when you play uh, the way he does. I'll tell you what, before we get out of here, I want to switch gears real quick. Got two more guys that I want to talk about. We'll save LeBron for last. I definitely want to hit on him. Stephen Curry. Now, you said you mm-hmm. got a video coming out with him soon. I'm looking forward to seeing that. You always enjoy letting your fans know that Curry has won zero finals MVP. And oh, yeah. I don't know how much of that is serious or how much is, is, you know, being sarcastic. But I'll tell you one thing that you are serious on. I can tell by listening to many of your podcasts. Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. That probably has pissed you off more than almost mm-hmm. anything else in sports. I can tell how much that got under your skin. Well, I mean, yeah, as, uh, in, as a fan of, I, I know LeBron is a very, divisive character um i am i don't necessarily agree with lebron on some of his political takes in, in like china but he, he's my he's probably my favorite athlete of all time so i support lebron the, the basketball player i love lebron the basketball player and i love the fact that lebron has helped open up schools for underprivileged children so the, you know right after the cavaliers had that magical uh 2016 title the fact that a few weeks later Kevin Durant basically just drops this this huge bomb of 
I mean, I don't have to go into details about it. Everybody knows that it only was four years ago where a fucking, you know, there's never been another example of a top two player in the sport leaving his current team, which was already good enough to win a title, which was already a title contender to mm-hmm. go join another seven, to go join a 73 win team that already had the reigning MVP and had, you know, three all NBA players on it and basically just completely fuck up the power balance of the league. The league by that one single move basically ruined the league for the next three seasons, pretty much until Durant blew out his Achilles in the playoffs uh, last year. There was, it basically was kind of like, Oh yeah, we, we know somehow, some way the Warriors are going to find a way to win. So the fact that that move robbed my favorite player, LeBron, of more chances at winning rings, it's it's still it's something that pisses me off, and it's always going to piss me off. And um, the thing though that the, the thing though that really that gets me more than anything is I I don't really know if anybody in the big picture actually benefited from it. Like I, I can't besides Michael Jordan, who's probably happy that, you know, it stopped LeBron from winning more rings and right. Michael Jordan fans. I don't think anybody I try I'm trying to think of who is actually better off because Durant went to Golden State. Certainly the NBA wasn't better off because it completely it, we went from having, you know, four legitimate contenders in the Thunder, the Warriors, the Spurs, and the Cavaliers to one major contender, which was the Warriors. So it completely ruined, zapped the league of any suspense. Um, obviously, the f- you know the fans who weren't uh, Warriors fans, well, even Warriors fans, I'll get to that later. Warriors, like every fan in terms of the lack of suspense, again, that's another reason why the move sucked. Durant himself, I don't think was happy. I don't think he'll ever say that, but I don't think he was happy because I don't think the championships that he won there had the desired effect that he thought they were going to have because nobody respects him for it. Nobody, nobody actually still respects the move, the rings that he won there. And they shouldn't because it was fucking, it was a bitch move. And so Durant, you know, is a super sensitive Sally. He, he thought that by going to golden state, Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my prime and I have zero rings. I got to win rings. Now, if I go to golden state and win rings, people will respect me. And then, when he went to Golden State and he won some rings and people still didn't respect him, you know, that's that was a big blow to him. And so that's why he eventually ended up leaving Golden State, even though if it really was all about r- winning rings, he would have stayed in Golden State. He wouldn't have left to go to Brooklyn. The reason that he didn't stay in Golden State was because another reason why another fraction that was not better off because of his decision were Warriors fans. Warriors fans, literally the entire three years he was there, it was just nonstop in-house bickering and bitching uh, about who's the best player, who's the most valuable player. Oh, well, he, he's stealing finals MVPs from Steph. It's like they were the biggest spoiled brats that I've ever seen in my years as a sports fan. Like, if I, I remember, like, you know, it's like if you're truly a fan of the Warriors, like, it doesn't matter how you win. You're happy that you win. But adding Durant just made it so artificial and just phony and hollow. And so it was, it wasn't like before when it was just the splash brothers and it was, there was kind of this cocky fun to them, you know, adding Durant made them, it made them better, 
but it made them less fun to watch and it took away a lot of the legitimacy that they had had before when they were still winning a shitload of games, by the way. So to recap, obviously to recap, the league wasn't better off. Durant himself wasn't better off. Other players like LeBron, you know, this affected his legacy because it stopped him from winning rings. It affected other players like Steph's legacy because now Steph's legacy is muddied by Durant. Like, I think we would have a much like, yeah, Steph won more rings technically because Durant joined him, but he did so at the cost of his own individual. Like he was, he was coming off of two straight MVPs. So if he had said, I don't want Durant. And if Durant had never went to golden state, would Steph have another MVP or two? Would he have somehow found a way to get the warriors back and maybe found a way to win a finals MVP on his own? So I think Steph's legacy was negatively affected by Durant's move. And I think Durant himself, I don't Durant himself wasn't happy with it. Warriors fans weren't happy with it, even though they were the team that won titles because of it. I just think overall, all around, I just think that it's one of the worst decisions that any athletes ever made. And I struggle to really think of another. I, I, I struggle to think of another. Now I know, I know a lot of LeBron haters always try to compare it to his move to Miami, but it's it's not it's not even close. Like I can't I can't even I'm trying to think of another parallel to you know a, a superstar player leaving an already good team, a great team for another great team that he just choked a, you know a game away against to help him win rings. Like I think I I, I said uh, maybe another parallel would be like it would be like Peyton Manning leaving the Colts in the mid two thousands to go join the Patriots after right. the Patriots beat like that's, that's, that would be like off the top of my head. That would be like the closest parallel I could make to what Durant did. And even then it's not a, 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 com- a completely accurate one because there's only one quarterback at a time, but still, I mean, it just, he sacrificed, he just sacrificed his dignity. So yeah, fuck Kevin Durant. I'll never, I'll never, and you know, I already see people again, I'm ranting. I'm sorry, but I, I, I already see people trying and put a revisionist spin on it. And, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate that bullshit because this was only four years ago. Okay. It wasn't 40 years ago. It wasn't 20 years ago. We were all alive. We all remember it. We all remember when it happened, when he had that stupid fucking picture in the cornfield, you know, my next move or whatever it was for the players tribune. It's like, we all remember that. So I don't want to fucking hear any excuses. Like it's the biggest, it's the most bitch made move in sports history ever. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, here's, I wanted to save LeBron for last because of all the things that you talk about or tweet about regularly, and I enjoy the Tom Brady rants, but the number one reason I really became a fan of yours is because you're pro- you've probably made me think more on LeBron versus MJ than anyone else ever has. And I want to say this, I, I love your LeBron takes because I agree with a lot of them. So I want to get your thoughts on him why you think he's the greatest ever, including Michael Jordan, who, you know, you often talk about him playing against inferior competition, but at the same token, you obviously know how great he is. I've always been an MJ person. I'm a little bit older. I watched him play pretty much every night. He was must-see TV at the time. And I point out two things that kind of support what you say. You talked about this earlier with Brady with rings. I think rings could be a very overrated thing. I mean, if you're talking about rings, Robert Horry won seven rings. Is he ever considered one of the greatest NBA players ever? 
No, he's not. And then the thing about LeBron that I give him more credit for than probably anything else in comparison to Michael Jordan, which by the way, in some capacity, I love the comparisons and in some I hate them because they're different types of players, but they're undisputably the two greatest players ever. But anyway, the thing about LeBron that's different than MJ more than anything else, MJ came into the league, the third draft pick, not sky high, unrealistic expectations were bestowed upon him before he ever played a game. Whereas LeBron going all the way back to high school was on fucking ESPN as what 15, 16 year old kid playing high school basketball games on national television. No one has ever, I don't think in sports, not just basketball has ever had the microscope that LeBron James has had before he was even a rookie in the NBA. And he's not only lived up to, but he's exceeded those expectations. That's the thing I like about LeBron maybe more than Michael or anyone else in sports. But anyway, I want to know what you think it is about LeBron that makes him the greatest ever. That's how we'll end this. Well, I think the the simple argument is to me, there's never been a player who has been consistently dominant over a longer period of time against better competition than LeBron James. If you want me, if you wanted me to sum up my argument for him being the best ever, that would be my short, that would be my too long, didn't read version of it, my Cliff Notes version. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for, if you look at just from a skill set, if you look from a perspective of what can a basketball player, like what can this player do on a basketball court? If you need LeBron to give you 35 points, he can do that. If you need him to grab 15 rebounds, if you want, like LeBron could lead the league in scoring, rebounding, and assist, he could do it all if he wanted to. Because he has the complete skill set. He just is this guy. If you want, if you told him, okay, I want you to go out there and I want you to shut down. Like, I don't want you to focus on anything else except just shut down the opponent's best player. Like, maybe not anymore because he's older. But when he was younger, like, he was one of the best defensive players in the league, too. Because he was just this freakish athlete who had this freakish build and size and mixture of size and speed. And he's just was he's this guy. Like, I think of all players. He's the one who brings the most to the table. Like he, he can score, he can rebound, he can pass, he can defend. Like he, he does it all. The only thing he's not good at is uh, is free throw shooting. But you know, I mean that it, you know it's neither was neither was Shaq, neither was Wilt, neither was uh, you know Bill Russell. So I mean, everybody has a flaw. But you know, Michael Jordan wasn't a great three point shooter. So there, every player has a flaw, even the best. Um, I think the biggest bugaboo if you want to call it that for LeBron's case and and the thing that, that LeBron haters have certainly have no problem bringing up frequently is his finals record. And to me, I think that outside of the 2011 finals, when he completely, I I, I still don't know what happened there. I mean, he he just completely shit his pants. He, you know, he was like, maybe, maybe the, the mob got to his family or something and told him to throw the series. I have no idea that, you know, nobody tries to excuse his performance in the 2011 finals, but other than that, it's like the guy has just, he's had some really, really, you know, he's really just had some shitty luck in the finals. And I know the the retort is, oh, what about Ray Allen? And what about, you know, Kyrie Irving? And I say, well, you know, if you actually watched the series, like if you actually watched the games, you would know that, you know, he's consistently, his opponents have consistently shot the hell out of the ball a lot better than they normally do. Like he's just, he's, he's been on the wrong side of a lot of luck. Whereas I think in Michael Jordan's case, he was on the good side of a lot of luck, meaning 
there was a lot of times in the finals where Michael Jordan's finals opponents just completely played like shit and they completely, they missed shots. They missed open looks. I've, I've watched every finals game that Jordan and LeBron have played. And there's no question that LeBron's finals competition, especially against the Warriors is far leaps and bounds better than any team that Michael Jordan ever played in the finals. And I always put it like this. I say, okay, let's say we transport the KD Warriors back to 1996 when Michael Jordan still had just three rings and he was a year older than LeBron was when LeBron won his third ring. Does Michael Jordan still end his career with a perfect six and a finals record? Fuck no, he doesn't. No. So a lot of it is just the luck of the draw. Whereas Michael's finals record is, is obviously some of it has to do with the fact that he was the best player in the world and the best player ever before LeBron came along, in my opinion. But a lot of it just has to do with the fact that his finals opponents just weren't as good. Whereas in a lot of LeBron's final series, he was on the, he was on the worst team really outside of 2011 and 2013 and possibly 2012. I really can't think of another series where he was on a team that, that had a a real shot to win. And I think the finals record reflects that. I think he lost a series that he should have won, which was 2011. And he won a series that by all accounts, they probably should have lost, which was 2016. I think everything else, I think is kind of evened out where, you know, you look at the 20, you look at the 2007 Cavaliers, that team was dog shit. And he took them to the finals. You look at the 2018 Cavaliers, that team was dog shit. He took them to the finals. You look at the 2015 Cavaliers, that team was good. But by the time they got to the finals, they were missing. LeBron didn't have his two best teammates because they were hurt. So you look at the support LeBron had in that series. It was horrible. Like all of his backcourt teammates, J.R. Smith, Matthew Delvadova, Iman Shumpert, James Jones, they all shot below 32% from the field. So like he had shitty support in that series. Then you look at the 2017 finals, which was, I think was probably actually the best team LeBron ever played on. It just happened to coincide with the best team in NBA history, which was the 2017 Warriors, which was basically like just so there's, there's a lot of bad timing. There's a lot of shitty luck that goes into LeBron's finals record. And I know that's the big, Oh, you know, Oh, well he has three and six finals record. I think that's a horrible representation of how he's performed. And it's a whole, it's a horrible representation of, um, of, a, of a, it, using rings in basketball is a little bit more understandable than in football because one basketball player can have a bigger impact on the outcome of a game than one football sure. player can, even a quarterback. But still, it's like, you know, people. People, whenever I see somebody use a finals record just out of context, I just I don't even bother arguing with them because I know they're they're not I know they're not using it in good faith. And in all honesty, I don't I don't really like discussing I, I like talking about football a lot more than I do about basketball and the NBA, even though I love watching the NBA, even though I know a lot about the NBA and its history, because the discourse around it is just so bad. It's just there's just so many, it's all about narratives. It's nothing about what actually happened on the court. It's all about players you don't like and players you do like, and there's all these agendas and it's just, it's really annoying. But, uh, you know, I, I, I keep watching the NBA 
obviously, like I said, because I love basketball, but obviously because I also love LeBron. And once LeBron finally retires, which we don't know when that's going to be because he's in year 17 right now and he's still the best player in the league, which is fucking incredible, which is incredible. You know, that's what I've said. I've said, you know, he has been LeBron James. This is another argument, I guess, if you want to say for why he's the best ever. He's been an all NBA player in each of the last 16 years. He has gotten an MVP vote in each of the last 17 years. Like there are people who are almost in college right now who do not know what it's like to live in a world where LeBron James is not an elite NBA player, where he is not an all NBA basketball player. That to me, that is fucking insane for as great as Jordan was the most consecutive full healthy seasons he ever played was seven in a row. And LeBron has, has like a decade and a half straight of, of elite all NBA seasons. So it's just like, you know, I just love watching him play. And I know there's, there's a lot of shit off the court that he does. And, and, you know, the people don't like, and people call him out. Oh, he's a hypocrite for this and that. But in terms of just on the, in terms of on the court, I've never seen anybody better in my time. Again, Jordan, Jordan's prime years were before I was born. And if I was a little bit older, like you, no offense, I probably would have, you know, I, 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 maybe I would be a Jordan guy instead. You know, it's different. It's different to experience something in real time than it is to look back on it. Um, You know, LeBron to me, I mean, he's, he's the best I've seen. And uh, I don't, I don't know if that's going to change. I mean, looking forward to the future. I'm a huge fan of, of Zion Williamson. I love Zion Williamson. I think he's, he and LeBron are like, to me, I think they're the, they're two guys who are just, they're these super physical like physically dominant freaks who are just incredible around the basket. And they have this, just this uniquely rare ability and touch to finish around the basket that you really shouldn't have for somebody that size. Like the, the, I always talk about this people, when, you, when people think about skill, when they talk, when they talk about skill for a basketball player, think, Oh, well, they think about footwork and, you know, post moves and Kobe and, and MJ and all those fadeaways. And that's nice. But to me, one of the rarest skills that, that you can have, in my opinion, is to be, you know, a backcourt player and to be able to consistently get high percentage looks at the basket in a half court offense, the way that LeBron does and the way that Zion does, like that is a incredibly rare skill. Like that is a skill, make no mistake about it. And people just kind of, they kind of brush it off just as, Oh, well they're, they're big and strong. So it's not impressive. It's like, well, it's pretty fucking, it's pretty fucking impressive or else, Everybody would be able to do it. So that's just, you know, again, I'm rambling again, but uh, that was, you know, I just, I just, I'm, I'm glad. I hope that, uh, I think I speak for everybody when I say, I hope that, you know, no, no knucklehead goes out and, and ruins this bubble because I want to see this bubble, you know, the NBA bubble work in, instead of, you know, some knucklehead like Lou Williams going out to get a lap dance, and potentially, uh, you know, ruin it for everybody. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Last question, then I'm going to let you go. You just alluded to NBA starting, so this drops Wednesday. People are listening, and the NBA season starts Thursday night. In fact, LeBron, Kyrie, right away. As a LeBron fan, first and foremost, I mean, obviously, you love the NBA, but as a LeBron guy, does it bother you that, I can already see it now, if they make it to the finals, and let's just say they lose to the Bucs, and you're going to have to hear the bullshit, well, no, he's 3-7. and If they win it, it's like, well, this doesn't even count. Put an asterisk next to it. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of these freaking uh, 
no-win situations for the guy. And by the way, and like I said, the thing that I respect most about you beyond the trolls, the humor, all the jokes, is these types of sports stakes because you, you, if you haven't moved me off MJB in the greatest, you've come closer than anybody else ever has. But anyway, back to LeBron. Do you feel like he's kind of got one of those almost like no-win situations ahead of him right now? Yeah, for I, I for a little bit there, I was I was thinking like that, and I was like, oh man, you know, you know, the people are going to say it's an asterisk and blah 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 blah. And eventually, I switched my mindset to you know what, fuck those guys, fuck those people, because you know I want LeBron to end his career with as many rings as possible, because I feel, and a lot of other LeBron fans feel, like as I said earlier in the in the, in the show, that he had, he's had really two or three great chances at at rings which was in 2015 2017 and 2018 taken away from him because of bullshit that was out of his control in terms of injuries or in terms of durant you know making the biggest bitch move in league history so for me at first i was like i don't really want this bubble to happen because there's a no-win situation but the more i thought about it i was like you know i just want him to win i want him to win as many rings as possible because i think it would be good you know it, it would be good karma for all the chances that he that he wasn't you know the unfair shit that he had to put up with in in prior years that that where he wasn't really given uh a fair uh realistic shot at winning that he should have had now obviously i got obviously like you know i like nothing is given like you have to earn it but just just as a lebron fan i just want to be like you know this is i just want him to get some of the rings that i feel like he deserved based off of how well he performed in those postseasons where he had shit out of his control, uh, stop him from winning. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. All right, everybody, give Barry a follow on Twitter at Mega Racism Hater. He might or may not be on that neighbor much longer. You never know with you. So, having yeah. said that, make sure you also check out the podcast, Class Act Podcast, and also the YouTube channel, Barry McCockner. If something happens to your Twitter account, you have backups on there that you promote, but if not, go to the podcast or YouTube channel, find all that information out. Dude, thanks a lot, man. I got everything I was looking for out of this interview. Got some jokes, got to have a little bit of light talk, but also some legit sports takes, man. I really, truly appreciate you. I really, I appreciate you having me on here. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. Very big thank you again, the legendary Barry McCockner. Man, that was so cool. I've been waiting to talk to this guy for a long, long time, and he did not disappoint. Thank you very much, Barry. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, and you should, because there's not many places where you're going to hear an interview with Barry McCockner other than this podcast right here, make sure you do Apple, Google, Spotify, all the major podcasting platforms were everywhere. Hit us up, rate and review. It really helps me continue to grow this show. Also, check us out on YouTube. Talking Buffalo Podcast, have our own YouTube channel. Nothing like Barry's, but we do have highlight clips from current and past episodes there. I am going to start doing some original content on there very soon. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweet. Always on Twitter. That's where you're going to find me podcast updates, promos, 
all kinds of stuff going on, including our prize pack giveaway going on right now with Sunny Reds. So check that out at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time. I truly appreciate it. It's very humbling, and I'm very appreciative for every person that listens. I know how many podcasts there are out there, so you're locked in on this one. It just means the world to me. So thank you very much. Have a good one, and I'll be back with a brand new episode coming real soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.